You are live. Okay, thank you for joining. This is very exciting. Another class, another week. And this is as if we never learned Torah before, because that's the theme of today's class, the newness and the excitement of learning Torah. It's Parshas Yisrael, an awesome time. I first want to mention uh, the sponsors for tonight. Was tonight's class was sponsored by Kirby Stanley. This is an honor of all Hasidim. So may Hashem bench all Hasidim with the, all the blessings and all the good. And since so it refers to all of Amech, all the Jewish people, which in heart of hearts, everybody's a chassid. Why? Because everybody's got a neshama, everybody's got a soul, and a soul is a chassid. <laughs> What's a chassid? A warm, fiery Jew. And that's what a neshama is, warm and fiery. So all Jews are chassidim, so all Jews should be blessed with abundant and bracha and boundlessness, should spill over to the rest of the world with infinite and boundless blessings. So Yashukayach for that dedication. Another dedication today was by Anonymous, and this is an honor for those who need a shidduch to find a shidduch and to find the right shidduch and the correct shidduch and then bring it from a shidduch to, to actual um, um, engagement and to marriage and then to happy marriage and then to children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and everlasting love and happiness for everybody. And as we're going to see, the, uh, the, the, the teichen, the content of today's shir, is the shidduch of shidduchs, the marriage of marriages. Okay. So when it comes to this week in the parasha, first of all, happy to Bishvat, everyone. Chamashas of the 15th day of Bishvat, an awesome time. And um, let's take a look at this week's parasha, parashas Yisrael. So when it speaks about the, this week is the parasha of the giving of the Torah, and when it comes to the giving of the Torah, the opening verse in the parsha of the giving of the Torah is as follows. So it says in chapter 19, verse number one, it says on the third month, when the Jewish people came out, when the Jewish people went out of the land of Egypt, on this day they arrived at Harsinai. So the Torah is giving us an idea of when it was. When did this happen? This uh, arrival to Mount Sinai. They just left Egypt. Now they're arriving at, at, at Har Sinai. Last week's Torah portion was the splitting of the sea, the leaving of Egypt. So the Torah gives us a time, a date. It says it was the third month. But it doesn't tell us when in the third month. It just says it was on the third month they came to Har Sinai. So, um, which day of the third month? Now, the third month is the month of Sivan, okay? But without, but uh, again, it, it, it omits the date. But the sages do figure it out. Because it says, it says, on this day, day they arrived at Midbar Sinai. And the words, on this day, gives it away. The Gemara says in Masech Shabbos, that we draw a Gzereshava, we draw a parallel. We find, there's one of the methods we learn in Torah is that when we find two parallel words, we can apply the general, jet, uh, certain ideas which we are stated clear in one, or that we know is regarding one, we apply it to the other. Obviously we can't make that up, but the rabbis had traditions which words are married to each other, same word, or they're, they're twins, rather they're twins, and because we see one like this and one like that, we can draw a parallel between the two. So the word um, hazet, which means this, 
was recently read a few a few Torah portions ago, two Torah portions ago, Parshas Boy. In Parshas Bo, when it tells us opening up the beginning of the going out of Mitzrayim, the first time Hashem is giving the first mitzvah, maybe that's why the sages feel it's connected, because here we're going to give the Torah, and that's really the beginning of the Torah, because that's the first mitzvah. But right over there it says, right over here, Hashem spoke to Moshe, and he said, This month, to you is Reish Chadashim. So there it doesn't say Bayoim Hazeh, it says Achoydesh Hazeh. And just like over there where it says Hazeh, what does it imply? Hazeh. Hazeh implies over there, it means Rosh Chodesh, because that was the mitzvah. God was showing Moshe the new moon. Hashem was showing, teaching Moshe how to sanctify the moon, which is the sanctification of the month. We know that in our Jewish calendar follows the lunar calendar. And, but in order for the, the, a month to be established, when there was a court, a high court, today's days, until Mashiach is here, Be'ezrat Hashem already, let's have it for the month of Adar, we should already have this, the Sanhedrin, the great Jewish court, should sanctify the month and declare it as the new month. Today's days we follow a set calendar, but that's not really the way it is really meant to be. So Hashem showed Moshe Rabbeinu how the vision, how the moon has to look like that you should be able to sanctify. So that was obviously on Rosh Chodesh. How does the Torah refer to it? It doesn't say it was Be'echad Lachodesh, the first day of the month. It says Hazeh, this. So we draw, we learn the word Hazeh over there. And over here it says also Bayoim Hazeh. So the sages learn now, just like over there, it was Rosh Chodesh, it was the first day of the month. So to today, and when they came to Harsina, it was also Rosh Chodesh. Okay, this is what it says. Now, Rashi learns out, so um, Rashi learns out something else from the word Bayoim Hazeh. Rashi says, Rashi first brings Bayoim Hazeh Bereish Chodesh, that it was on Rosh Chodesh. Rashi doesn't draw, tell you that it's on Rashi seems to imply that we would know it from the verse itself, we know that it's Rosh Chodesh. He doesn't say we derive it from somewhere else. Um, but then he says, um, it should have said on that day. It's just, the Torah is describing an event that happened thousands of years ago. If that's the case, it should have said, on that day they came. Why does the Torah say on this day? The Torah should be new to you as if it was given today. So when it says, when you're reading this, when we are sitting over here in the year... 2022, or in the year, in the Hebrew the year 5782. And we are learning the Parsha. And we are reading on this day, they came to Har Sinai to receive the Torah. We are supposed to realize that it's actually today that we arrived at Sinai. And therefore, our excitement about the Torah shouldn't be any less than what happened 3,334 years ago. Or 3,300, we can still say 3,333 till the next anniversary. So what happened then, you, the excitement was off the charts. The same is also now. Today, we arrived at Sinai. That means our ears should be so perked up. We should be so excited. We should be so enthusiastic about learning Torah because today we arrived. It's going to be... The nature of people is that's something that you've had for a long time. It's an older book. We all we all sometimes receive new books. Let's 
the new svarim, you know, the excitement of getting a new book and opening up for the first time. And after you have the book in your bookshelf for a long time, especially if you read the book already three times, four times, five times, six times, eh, doesn't really get you too excited. The Chumish, the, uh, the, the Torah and the rest of the Torah, because all part of it, has to be and should be, the Torah is teaching us that it should be as exciting to us as it was the first time. And that's the meaning by Yemazah on this day. So here's the question. According to one interpretation, we said by Yemazah, it's that the word Hazah is coming to specify a specific day. It's coming to designate a specific day that that day is the day they came to, to Har Sinai, which means it's coming to exclude every other day. As we said earlier, it's picking one day in the year and saying, this is the day. You're right. I mean, it's not specifying one day to separate it from kind of the anniversary of it every year, but it's at least picking one day. But really it is. It's speaking about the year they went out of Egypt, and it's pointing to one particular day. And by saying the word hazeh, by the Torah, which is the word the Torah uses in order to give us a clue which specific day it was that they received the Torah, the word hazeh, which we learn out that hazeh means Rosh Chodesh. But now we turn around a moment later, and Rashi himself does it, after he says it was Rosh Chodesh, we turn around instantly, and we say, means the day that you are learning. Whenever we hear about this, whether it's in, in the winter, whether it's in the summer, whether it's in spring, whether it's in the month of Shvat, whether it's in the month of, of, of Nisan, whether it's in the month of, of Tammuz, whether it's a thousand years ago, whether it's a 5,000 years from now, whichever moment, whichever day you are learning about it, this is the day you arrived at Sinai. And not only the day that you're learning this Pasuk, the day that you're learning any part of Torah, but you remember from this verse that you just read over here that today is the first time you're encountering God and Him teaching you the Torah, including the Torah you're going to learn right now. So what's the problem? The problem is how can one word mean two opposites like that? Right? The paradox. You have one word, the same word, which that word comes to indicate a specific day to the exclusion of every other moment of time. And that that very same word is coming to embrace every moment and, and every, every point in time that that's the time that God is giving you the Torah. Not a question, but it's, it needs some understanding. How can one word contain within itself two opposite notions? Now, the general idea, and now um, I, want, I do want to mention something. I gave a class Sunday, which I usually, yesterday, which um, and you, those who follow on the, on the um, social media, on YouTube and on Facebook, and I asked the same question, and I'm actually repeating the ideas that we were learning then, as then, that, then I was learning it inside, and now I'm just gonna, and now I'm gonna give a synopsis. Then I only went through part of it, and as I said, next week, Sundays, we're gonna learn it inside from the initial discourse, what I'm going to try to do today is just do an overview on the entire discourse and find and give the synopsis of the idea. Obviously, if you want to understand it with more thoroughly in detail, so follow those particular classes. It's a mimer called Bachaydish Hazah from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. But now we're going to do just a, a talk on the general idea because I find it 
fascinating, the concept in which he's explaining over here and very, very invigorating. Okay, so question number one again is that we find that the word hazeh seems to um, come and include, that it means, I'm sorry, comes to exclude every day, it's one day, one specific day. And then the word hazeh is also inclusive to mean every day in your entire life. The other question is on the very notion that we said earlier that um, we're supposed to feel every day that the Torah is new. Now the Torah is true. Torah is not, Torah is absolute truth. It's called Torah's emes. The Torah of truth. If the Torah is the Torah of truth, so if the Torah gives us expectations, they have to be realistic, true expectations. In other words, it needs to be that it is right to feel every day. It's not just that the Torah would like us to be inspired by it as every day because the Torah knows human nature. And the Torah wants to counter the human nature of becoming tired and things becoming less enthusiastic and so on and so forth. So the Torah wants to inspire us and tells us, you know, you got to keep up the momentum as, as, as if it's new. But really, it's not new. In other words, the Torah knows it's not new, but the Torah is trying to get us to treat it as if it's new, even though it's not new. That's not, that would not be correct. The Torah would not have an expectation of us to treat the, the, the Torah like it's new if it really, really wasn't new. So we have to say that the Torah is new every second. That's what it is. We have to say that God, that the Torah is new and that what's the excitement of the Torah? It's the word of God. So we have to say that the, 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 that this is new. This is happening now. But then the question is, it's not new. <laughs> the Torah was given, as we said earlier, close to three and a half thousand years ago. So if the Torah was not given today, but it was given three and a half thousand years ago, then it's not new. And every day it gets older and older and more distant in the past. And the longer that, the longer we go away from it, then really it should just age and age and get a little bit stale. That's just the nature of every of everything that we have for a long time. The longer we have it, the older it gets and the less enthusiastic it gets. If the Torah tells us that the Torah that we are supposed to treat the Torah as if it's a new document, not only as if it's a new document, see sometimes Rashi, this same teaching that the Torah should be new and mitzvah should be new, is actually mentioned a couple of times on Chumash. It's not the only time. It's mentioned a few times. It's a very important idea. It's mentioned a few times. Other times, Rashi uses the term kechadashim, like new. This time, Rashi says new, not like new. The Torah needs to be new. So to have the Torah new, so you have to say it's literally new. How is it literally new if it's old? That's the question. So realistically, and how could we bring ourselves, if we know that the Torah was given thousands of years ago, how do we bring ourselves to that newness? So a possible explanation that is given is that there's something very powerful about Torah study. The sages tell us, that when a person studies Torah, like we are doing right now, God is studying in partnership with us. 
if we are learning the words that sages use is if you are learning Chumash or if you're learning Mishnah meaning whether you're learning the, 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 the written law or whether you're learning the oral law any part of Torah being that th- these words are divine so we shouldn't it's not that God said this a long time ago way back then and we are now conversing and speaking of or studying what what God told us that itself is awesome that human beings can can discuss divine teachings that is crazy but we're saying much more than that whenever you learn God becomes your partner in learning and Hashem is learning along with you like the famous idea of yeshiva learning where you have chavrusa chavrusa means study partners two people study together God becomes your chavrusa when you learn, this is in addition to the idea when 10 people are learning, the Shekhinah dwells amongst them and all that. In addition to that, there's a private study session. Every time you learn, unbeknown to you, obviously on some level, the soul maybe can feel it. Consciously, we don't feel it, that God is stating it and learning with us. This itself is an awesome idea. Even if I didn't say anything else tonight, and this is the first time you're hearing it, and if it's not the first time, you should be excited about it as if it's the first time. God is actually learning Torah along with us right now. Now, this idea that Hashem is learning Torah with us is not some ethereal idea, some deep abstract idea that's taking place in some remote area. We find that Hashem wants us to feel that. In other words, God wants us to be conscious of the fact that we, that he, when we are studying, we're actually learning together with God himself. And where do we find that idea, that this is not just a concept the sages revealed to us that God is studying, but this is something that's supposed to be felt in the Torah that we're learning. So later on, this is derived from something else that's stated over here in the parsha. It says um, see the beginning of the of this whole story describes everything that happened leading up to the giving of the Torah. And then God comes down on the mountain and God actually speaks the Ten Commandments. So when Hashem speaks the Ten Commandments, what does it say? God said all the above things, Sages ask the question, what in the world does it mean God spoke all these words, to say? Now the word is a common word that is said many times across the Torah went almost by so many commandments that God spoke to Moshe, Lamar. Now, usually the word Lamar, which means saying, makes sense because God is speaking to Moshe and the objective is that Moshe should pass it on. And then each and every one of us, God is telling us also that when you hear this, please teach it to your fellow. These are not meant to be our own personal teachings, which we hide, which we keep private, we keep it for ourselves. We're not supposed to be selfish in Torah. We're supposed to share this knowledge with everyone. And that's the meaning Lamar to give over. Everything we learn to give over, especially to Moshe, the recipient of Torah that he's supposed to give it over. Now that works by the rest of the Torah. It doesn't work by the Ten Commandments. The reason why it doesn't work the Ten Commandments because over here Moshe is not the middleman. God is speaking directly to the audience. Since God is speaking directly to the audience, so who, what is he saying? It should be said. To who should it be said? It doesn't have to be said anymore. 
He said it to them, and they are hearing it from him. Who needs to say? It can't be Moshe should say it to the people. And we can't say, well, the people should give it over to their children and their children to their grandchildren, and so it should be re- the, the tradition uh, should go over from generation to generation because we have a very important teaching that the, teachers, that the sages teach us that all the Jewish people, all the generations to come, every single descendant of Israel stood by the giving of the Torah. Our souls were there and we received the Torah. So we heard the Ten Commandments directly from God. So we don't have to receive it from anybody. Your children know it already. Your grandchildren know it already. Obviously, they could probably use a reminder, but still they know it already. If that's the case, what is the meaning of the word lamar? Now, there's various explanations of what lamar means. And here there's a, I think I gave a class a couple of years ago in which I think I gave like seven, eight interpretations of what the lamar means. Um, but... Um, Today, we'll focus on one teaching. This is Rabshneer Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe. He has an awesome explanation of what the Lamar by the giving of the Torah was. You see, Lamar means to repeat. Hashem spoke these words, Lamar to repeat. And what does it mean to repeat? He says, this is an instruction of how we are supposed to learn Torah throughout all of history. When we are learning Torah throughout all, all of time, whether we're learning the Ten Commandments, like we do this week, or whether we're learning any other part of the Torah. And the reason this would apply to any part of the Torah, even though we are deriving it from the word Lamar, which says by the Ten Commandments, the reason why this applies to any word in the Torah is because the Ten Commandments is the entire Torah concentrate. It's the concentration of the entire Torah. The the, the entire Torah is derived from the Ten Commandments. It's all in it. It's all bottled up in it. So God says, when you're, Hashem spoke all these words that lame are to be repeated. What does it mean to, to, to repeat it to who? No, not to repeat to anybody. But that means every time we, all of us, any of us, study Torah, our awareness has to be that God is speaking it and I am just vocalizing into the physical um, space around me, the words of Hashem. It's almost like I'm just repeating after him. Every word that's being says is the word of God. Not the word of God said thousands of years ago, but the word of God being said right now, and I am just communicating his words, sp- speaking after him. For whatever reason, God shows that his thundering voice his infinite voice, um, um, which is channeled every time anybody studies Torah, should not be heard down here below. Obviously, God wants to remain camouflaged until the until Mashiach is here. So God's voice is not heard until that time. Yet He is speaking, and He is and He is studying Torah with every person studying Torah across the world. It is happening. Yet, Hashem wants that our voice, which we are saying, should be heard. But here's the thing. It's very easy to get caught up and forget about God completely when we're studying Torah. And then the act of Torah study is a human finite act. It's got godly content. The very fact that you are saying God, the words of the divine, as we said earlier, that itself is 
awesome. These are more important words than anything else because anything else are the words of a finite being. This is the words of an infinite God. So yeah, the, it's, it's God's word, so it's awesome. But it's so much more powerful is that when we don't feel ourselves when we're speaking, we're just, we're just, we're just an echo. Imagine that. We're just an echo of God's words. And our echo is heard. The initial sound is not heard, but our echo is heard. So we give God a voice in this world. The, now, when a person studies Torah in that way, it's an egoless study. And then they're a channel to the divine. And then let's understand something. Then what happens? Our words are so much more impactful. Then our words are so incredibly powerful because our words are not our words. Our words are just it's, it's God's words being spoken right now. And King uh, David HaMelech, when David HaMelech in Tehillim and Psalms actually prays to God, prays to Hashem that his, that his Torah study should be on that level. Obviously, it's not so easy because the tendency of us is to forget Hashem because we don't, as we mentioned so many times, God is not um, 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 uh, experienceable in our five senses. So therefore, it's easy to forget Hashem. David HaMelech, King David, prays that he should study Torah the right way. So he says in Tehillim, chapter 119, all the way in the end of chapter, the longest chapter of, of Psalms, all the way in the end, he says, Tan l'shayni imrasecha. My, my um, tongue should answer your, your sayings. Answer means it should repeat your sayings. That when I am studying Torah, I should be aware that God, you are saying at this moment, even before when I just, obviously God is much faster than us, right? <laughs> so before we can omit a word, he's already said it every single time. Before we, like I told the story by the, by the night of uh, the Malava Malka we had um, a few weeks ago, and we were honoring the great Ramosha Leib of Sasev, and I told the story that he, he always greeted people before they had a chance to greet him. I told you the story about two people once sneaking up behind him and trying to prove what the Hasidim say, that he always gets, there's never a person who greets him first. And as they were ready to pounce, he turns around and says good morning to them, right? Or good Shabbos to them, whatever it was. God always beats us to it. And every element of Torah that we want to speak or every verse or everything he says at first, and when we are conscious of that and then we're just saying over, echoing God, it is a much holier speech and it's a far more impactful speech. And our words kind of get like carried, they're carried by God's power. And then our our, our words have infinite potency and infinite power in impacting the world and, and, and uh, whatever else it is. So that's the idea. Now, if that's the case, that Hashem speaks Torah every time we are speaking, now we can then thereby answer the question that we began with when we asked the question, how can you feel when you're learning Torah that the Torah is not aging, the Torah is new, it was given to you right now? And the answer is because it really is being given to us right now. God is speaking these words right now. And that's why it is new. If I am just repeating for thousands of years I'm quoting what it says in books and books that were printed a hundred years ago and they were printed reprints from what was written before and all the way, all the way. All. So we're dealing with old words that were said a long time ago and they have aged and they've become old and so on and so forth. 
But if it, that's not the case, but whenever we're learning Torah, God is saying these words actually right now. So that's why we can, we can have that newness every time we're studying and every time we're learning. So this is a good explanation. Problem with that, not the problem, but we need to therefore now understand, go a little deeper. Um, God obviously is different than us and that we are temporary and we are finite and everything about us is finite. And since everything about us is finite, even though last week we spoke, how the fingerprints of the infinite is expressed in each and every one of us and in the world, but we as we are without the godly imprint, so to speak, is we, our properties are finite properties. The infinity that we might express is not our properties, it's God making himself visible in us and through us, as we discussed in last week's class. But our properties are finite. And therefore, one of where we see our, our finitude is that everything we do lasts for a, a period of time, right? The durability of whatever we do. We create a machine. It lasts for a while. It breaks. doesn't last forever. And when we talk, our words dissipate. Minutes, sec a second after we said it, the words are not here anymore. If I say hi, gone. It was here for a second, unless it's recorded. So that's our limitations. Obviously, we understand that God, he himself is infinite. And therefore, when he emits sound, his sound and his voice is infinite. That's why we say in davening, we say it in the prayers, in the morning prayers, his words are alive and durable. They continue to exist. So, for instance, we know this from creation. When God created the world, we know that God spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be a firmament, and the firmament came into existence. Let there be vegetation and trees and so forth came into existence. So the holy Baal Shem Tov teaches us that creation is continuous because the word that God is commanding the creation to be, to exist, that commandment, those utterances, the ten utterances of creation, continue on for infinity. So therefore, they continuously are commanding the world into existence. So the world is being new every second. It's being constantly recommanded. But the word that God is speaking, that's not new. That's, that's because his word is forever. His sound goes on and on and on and on and never ceases. If that's the case, that God's words are all infinite and forever, so then we need to understand, so what is the great accomplishment, which we said now, that every time we speak Torah, we're getting God to say it again. I mean, in a sense, he's been saying this very word already before, and that is happening. So you have already a, continu a continuity of his words. Now we're adding and we're saying that when God, when you're learning, you're causing God to say it again. So what's the, what's the, and that was the explanation of why you should get so excited because God is saying it again. But in a sense, he, the first time he said it, it's here. It's not like our words. So what is the chiddush in the second time and each time that God repeats it? Now it is true that God is repeating it every time. And that's why we have the sense of newness. But, but, but what's, what's that all about? If his words, and we need to repeat something um, 
And how many times did our mother or, you know, how many times you tell your children, how many times do I have to tell you? How many times do I have to tell you to take out the garbage? How many times do I have to tell you? Right? And that's because the sound isn't there. But if you're, if the words are still here, then it for sure doesn't have to be repeated again. What's the significance of that? So the idea is very, very powerful. And the idea is as follows. The Midrash tells us a fascinating thing. The Midrash tells us that um, when God gave us the Torah, God broke the barrier. The significance of the giving of the Torah was the breaking of the barrier. As we mentioned many times, Torah is a marriage. Torah is a union. And the union of Torah is that God is unifying with the creation. Or in, to put it in other words, the higher and the lower are coming together. Torah is the higher. Torah is the 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 map of the highest 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 spiritual cosmos make it even deeper torah is the map of the divine that's what the torah is when we study torah down here we are assimilating into our minds the divine i'll take it no I'm, I'm, i think it was wrong to say that torah is not just the map of the divine Torah is the, is the entire divine design, not of the creation. That's one thing. We know that Torah is the blueprint of the cosmos. That's one thing. But the reason Torah is the blueprint of the cosmos is because God created the cosmos as a reflection of himself. So Torah is the way Hashem, so to speak, designs himself. It's his design. It's his will and his wisdom. It, and the Torah conveys to us God's personality and God's being. So when we study Torah, we intimately get to know the divine. And we intimately connect to the divine. Now, when we don't only study Torah, but we implement the Torah into the world around us, which means we arrange the phenomenon, the, the objects, the, 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 the elements in the world around us, each and every one of us and as far as we can reach. But as we do that as a people, as we do that throughout the ages, as the Jewish people do that throughout the entire world and throughout the ages and throughout all periods of time in which we take so, obviously, it seems like we're only impacting a very small small part of the world, but it's not that, that way. Impact is huge. But whatever it is, when we arrange the world around us to operate in accordance to God's instruction. For example, you have a kitchen and your kitchen is running by God's laws, by God's will, the laws of kashrut, kosher, non-kosher. Your bedroom, laws of marital relationship is running by God's rules. Your wardrobe is running by God's rule. Your business is running by God's rules. Your education of your children, your running of your family is running by God's rule. The operation of your body, your diet is running by God's rules. So what's basically happening is you're we are aligning physicality and the material world with the divine sketch, with the divine structure. So therefore, we are basically bringing the divine down into this world and unifying heaven and earth, unifying the world and God. And when we complete this unification and this attachment and this merger of heaven and earth, we have Mashiach, and then God will be revealed in the physical universe. 
Now, for that to happen, there needed to be a barrier needed to break. Because when God created the world, God did not create the world in a way that, 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 would, that would be possible. It actually was impossible. The material physical world, although it too is created by God, was created in a way that it should be not, it should be independent, separate, and mundane. That's what it was created to be. Its deepest truth is that God is creating it, and if God would not create it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't exist. But in terms of it and what is what it is capable of and what it is capable of experiencing, it was created in a way that it is not godly. It is not divine. And it is separated from the divine. And that's why for thousands of years, when creation was running its natural course, it was... It was very, very, very ungodly. Life on earth was diametrically opposed to the divine. The world was filled with abhorrent behavior. The world was filled with everything that is distasteful to God. And that's not so much by accident. That's what happened after Hashem created Adam and Eve sinned. And you'll say, yeah, because they sinned. But why did they sin? They sinned because God created them disconnected. And that's why it was possible to sin. If God, if Adam and Chava would have been created synchronized with God, then, or even if they are synchronized, the fact that there was a snake over there that was the serpent that was not synchronized, or was created in a way that it should bring about the unsynchronization. Bottom line is the world became completely unsynchronized with the divine. And the fact that that happened wasn't an accident because when God created the world, he created the world with a great divide between the upper and the lower and upper and lower means upper in general on, on, on in, in in upper and lower can mean can mean many things upper and lower can mean between levels of creations and existence that are synchronized with god's will which means enlightened in an enlightened um, realm and an ignorant realm the ignorant has to remain ignorant and the enlightened has to be the enlightened. The upper worlds are filled with God's glory and the lower world, especially our lowest world, is completely oblivious to God's glory. So that's one level of upper and higher. A deeper and higher level of upper is, as we mentioned earlier, not just enlightened worlds, but a, the divine itself, not just worlds in, in, in enlightened by God. The upper includes Hashem himself and his, his, his form that he articulates himself into, his personality. And that's upper. And our world is mismatched and misaligned with that. And that's the way it was for thousands of years. So the Medrash actually brings an example of a king who had two zones in his kingdom. And he created this border and he did not allow the crossover from, from, from the people from one to the other. And these two were like completely cut off, like East Germany and West Germany for, for, for all this time, for the time during, right, during the time of uh, communism. So in that way, God split the higher from the low. When it came to the giving of the Torah, the Torah says, God says, Vani that I that God says, no, I'm tearing down the wall. I'm going to break the barrier between the upper and the lower. 
And I'm going to allow for the fusion and the merging of the higher and the lower. And Hashem said two things are going to happen. The people from above, the entities, the realities of above are going to descend down here. And the entities of below are going to ascend upward. And Hashem said, I'm going to be the first one. And that's the beauty of this week's parsha, where it says, That was unprecedented. God descended. Till that time, God's glory filled the heavens. There were people on earth that were inspired by heaven. But God's glory only filled the heavens, didn't fill the earth. But at the time, at Sinai, God came down and made himself fully visible and experienceable down here below. It was an overpowering, overwhelming revelation of the divine truth down here below. God filled time and space and our world. And that was a, a, a that was the breakthrough. But at the same time, after the giving of the Torah, Hashem said, now that I came into your territory, I will now allow you to ascend up into my space. I descended into your space. I visited you. Now I want a visit back. Now, when did that happen, the visit back? Hashem says to Moshe, go up to God. So a human being, a flesh and blood, was invited into the heavenly realm. And Moshe went up to heaven with his body. A creature of earth went up to heaven. And that was so crazy and that was so astonishing that the, the Talmud tells us in Tractate Shabbos that when Moshe came to receive the Torah, the angels were so angry and so upset. They said, what is a, a, a Yalid Isha, what is a person born from a woman doing up here? In other words, an earthling doesn't belong over here. A creature from below doesn't belong. It was a foreign object. It upset them. Because based on the rules and regulations, heaven is a is 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 a is a is a no material zone. It doesn't belong. Matter doesn't belong in heaven. And Moshe came up with his body. So two things happen: God descended, and there is an ascendance. At Sinai itself, the main experience was God descending. It wasn't an experience of ascent. It was the first half of it. But yet, the Medrash says that at Sinai, at Har Sinai, Hashem broke both rules. The rule that the people from above may not come down below and the rule that the people from below may not ascend above, both these rules were broken at Sinai. Even though, technically, the only thing that happened then was that Hashem came down. Not that earth went up. Earth went up, happened afterwards, Moshe went up. So what does it mean then when we say that at Sinai itself, Hashem broke both barriers? And the answer is as follows. The ascendance of, of Moshe up to heaven, which basically is really leading the way for all material physical to be, to connect, to rise and to be refined and elevated, the empowerment to do that was given at the giving of the Torah. So two things happened at the giving of the Torah. First thing that happened with the giving of the Torah was that God was for the first time revealed on earth. That means we can hear God's voice 
as physical sound here on earth. We can see God's presence and in, 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 in literally in a physical way. I mean, you can see the fires, the smoke, the volcanoes, the smoking, the bursts, louds of thunder. They were witnessing nature receiving Hashem in this world. They can see, they see God, but they can see the, 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 the visibility of Hashem was all over the place. So God became, made himself known in the physical realm. You were shown so that you can know as it says, God opened up the heavens above from all sides. They can see he is and there's none but him. It was so powerful. Usually the material, physical world obscures and hides and blocks God. At this moment, God was an open display, was not hidden at all. That's number one, what happened at Harsinai, at Sinai. Second thing that happened at Harsinai was our, the worlds, which means the, the material, the lower worlds, were empowered. God empowered every creature and every being in this world and empowered it with the ability to rise and to ascend up to a more godly existence. Not just to a more godly existence, but to a state when it can connect, it can become one with God. What does it mean? What does that mean? What's the chiddush? What's the novelty? The novelty over here is it's one thing when God is revealed down here. It's another thing that the world, that the material, that the physical is a, is a vessel for it. It's a container for it. That means by the giving of the Torah, even though there was spectacular divine revelation, the, the, the material physical um, 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 creations, matter itself was not refined, was not, um, was not a, a vessel for spiritual light. It happened to be overpowered by the presence of the divine. God was overpowering the physical. In a sense, God was almost silencing the properties of the physical and overwhelming it with his power. So at that moment, obviously, you know, we weren't feeling hungry. Maybe if you didn't eat breakfast that day and maybe it was already, no one felt hungry. Because the natural, uh, um, normal feelings of a physical body were suspended at that moment because God was present at this moment. And, and, and all, all of existence was experiencing this incredible, like we would say a suction, was being pulled to God with this enormous pull. It was incredible. But that's not because that became the nature of the physical, that it... That, that it recognizes its source, it recognizes the infinite and wants to cleave and bond to the infinite. No. The material, the physical is exactly what it was before. Heavy, coarse, and conscious only of itself. That's, that's what it is. At this moment, the spiritual is overwhelming it. The divine is overwhelming it. That's not the purpose. The purpose is that there should be a transformation in matter, that matter itself, the material stuff of this world, physicality itself, should become refined, should become sensitive to, to God, should, should lift itself up and to become receptive to the divine and ultimately to the infinite. 
That did not happen by the giving of the Torah, but the empowerment for that to happen happened by the giving of the Torah. This is a very important idea. By the giving of the Torah, God unlocked. He did, he tempted, he switched something in physical matter. Till then, physical matter was blocked. It was incapable of, 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 of experiencing experiencing something higher than itself. By the giving of the Torah, God tinkered, so to speak, with every cell of matter, with every atom, changed it. It changed its capability. Now it's capable of ascending upward, of establishing a, a relationship between it and the spiritual realms above. Now, why was this necessary? Why wasn't it enough, you would think? If God comes down and God gives us the Torah and he speaks. So first of all, okay, at the time of the giving of the Torah, we understand there is divine revelation. And the world is completely in a state of submission to God. The entire existence is bowing down to God at that moment. Good. I get that. Once that leaves, the light goes back. Everything reverts back to its old self. So we understand that that's not good. That's not the purpose. God wants an ongoing relationship. However, here's the question. Since God is leaving us with, when he, with instructions, God is leaving us with a godly Torah and with divine commandments, which the mitzvahs are the will of God, and the Torah is the divine wisdom. So shouldn't it be understood that naturally? Shouldn't it be now accepted that naturally? If we continue down here below to study his Torah and do his mitzvahs, that the material physical world will change because it's now being governed by a divine force. So it has to impact, it has to change the material and the physical and turn it into a vessel for godliness. Just by the mere fact, what I'm asking is like this. Why did we need to have, the Midrash tells us that there were two special effects by the giving of the Torah. Two barriers that were broken. See, the restrictions were on both ends. The restrictions was on the above and the restriction. It's almost like God himself imposed a restriction on himself when he created the world. He imposed a restriction of himself that he will not reveal himself in the lower world. That's a massive restriction because he's everything and everywhere and therefore... especially when the world is disobeying him and, and misbehaving, wouldn't it be the most natural thing to suddenly turn on the lights for a minute and say, hey, behave yourself. But God restricted himself not to do that. So there was a restriction on him, and then there was a restriction on the, uh, on the creatures below that they're not given permission for them to ascend into a more spiritual state. They were kind of locked in their coarseness. In their, in their material state of existence. And even as explained in Hasidus and other places, even if they could achieve some elevation and some refinement, it's only relative. It's not really crossing the barrier into the divine. To really attach matter to the material, it was impossible. But we would think that once the Torah was given, and God broke the rule that the heavens can't come down to earth. And now Hashem made that heaven could come down to earth and God could reveal himself. So we would think that it's unnecessary then 
to change the nature of the material or to unlock the material and allow the material to go up, it's not necessary because automatic. And what does it mean going up? The matter going up doesn't mean matter dissolving. Matter going up means that matter becomes a vessel more refined than a vessel for godliness. Shouldn't it become naturally more of a vessel towards godliness without without its um, without any direct impact or direct um, tinkering with matter. I don't know why the, the, the example that's come, you know, baseball glove. So I remember as a kid, I'm, I wasn't much into playing baseball, but a little bit in camp and so on and so forth. I was more into basketball than baseball, but you know, the, the, the baseball glove. So I always, I couldn't stand always the glove because the glove was always so hard. And I was always jealous of those people who played baseball so long and their gloves were so soft. Because, you know, once you break a ball and you keep on using it so that it becomes soft and then you can like the leather becomes. So how does the glove become a vessel and soft and, and pliable? The mere fact that the hand is wearing it and using it again and again. It's not like you're going to do a special effect to change the glove. It's, it's, and that would be a different type. Maybe if a company would sell gloves that have already been softened, that it's not a hard glove. But that's not usually the way you bought these gloves. You buy the gloves, they're hard. You use them for years, they eventually will change. So we would think Torah and mitzvahs being the divine will, being the divine wisdom down here in the world, maybe not immediately, but after one year, two years, 40 years, 100 years, 200 years of it being applied to the world, there should be an, naturally a refinement. But the Midrash says more than that. God broke the rule. He had to change the order of nature. What's the explanation to it? And the answer to it is as follows. If any things are only impacted by various forces that are within the same range or close to that which that which um, when two things are close to each other, one force will impact the other. This is a physical cup, and it's a physical cup of water. And being that it's in the world of physicality, if I want this cup to move over here, the only way I can do it is to actually move this like this. Now, if I can blow very strong, so I can apply a different force, if I tip this if I brought in this big, 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 very powerful fan, and so even if I'm not applying my, my hand or someone's physical arm to move it or machine, but the wind itself, because the wind is felt in the physical, it can push this cup and perhaps maybe we'll turn it over or maybe it can push the cup forward and move. Now, what happens if I bring in a super mathematician? and makes all the calculations of why this cup should not be here right now and it should go over here. And even if I have all the best reasons of why that should be. And deduce according to, according to my intelligence or even if I get like a bunch of uh, people to agree, everybody agrees that this cup should go over here. So the question is, will that intellectual um, idea move the cup from here to here? It won't move one inch. It won't move one centimeter. Why? 
because the convictions of the of intelligence, the world of the mind, is a different world. It's in a different world than the of the physical cup, the physical glass. So therefore, a a a concept can't move this. The concept can inspire me if I understand and appreciate why it's not good that the cup is over here and the cup should be over here. That is the reason why that I will physically impart a force that will move the cup from here to here. Now, and we understand that the more abstract something is, the more elevated something is, the more removed from the material and physical something is, the higher it is, the less impactful it has on something because it is in a different realm. I gave an example of, 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 of human intelligence. Human intelligence is a couple of notches higher than physics. Because a human being is also a physical human being who has an intelligence. Now, when we're talking about abstract forces, spiritual lights, divine lights, higher and higher, God's wisdom, it's not human intelligence, it's God's wisdom. And it's God's will that is so, so lofty and so high. It is so beyond, it is so outside, it is so removed, it is so elevated beyond matter and the physical world. So even if we are using things in accordance to God's will or doing mitzvahs with it, the physical shouldn't be impressed in any way from it. The physical remains material, remains physical. It's not speaking to it, that's what I'm saying. It's not speaking to it because it's a different language. It's a very, very lofty language. It's very, very sublime. It's very, obviously, the changes in the material world that happen because when you're doing a mitzvah, for instance, when you're taking a parchment and you're writing, um, you're taking a hide of an animal and you're writing a Torah. And as a result of that, a physical animal is becoming part of a Torah. That change, obviously, we are doing. But when you're doing that, let me ask you, when we're doing that, let's say we take physical matter, we write a Torah, and we say that the Torah is now holy. What does it mean the Torah is holy? Is it that there are holy words written over there, which are godly concepts? Is that the holiness of it? Is the holiness only pertaining to the words, the spiritual ideas that are coming from it? That's not true. Because if that would be the case, we can read the Torah, we should all be excited about the Torah, but... We wouldn't kiss the Torah. You're really, I mean, what we're really doing when you're kissing the Torah is you're kissing a hide of a cow. Now, why in the world in any way would anybody kiss the hide of a, of a cow? And the answer is because when you're kissing the hide of the cow, you're kissing God. Now, if you kiss a regular cow, you're not kissing God, even though God is the reality of the cow. But you're not kissing God. But you're kissing the Torah, you're kissing God. That's why you're kissing it. It's really you're showing your love for God. Because the physical Torah now is elevated and it's not physical matter. It's physical matter, but it's physical matter that is unified with God. Very different than any other physical matter. Because that physical matter is now elevated, 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 and elevated, not only to, con to contain within it spirituality. Now, I don't have the scientific devices i don't have and i don't think the tools weren't the instruments the tools 
Um, um, we're not invented yet, and maybe there are tools that are invented, we just didn't apply them. There might be tools. I don't know the tools of science. I'm not a physicist, and I'm not a scientist at all, and I'm very ignorant in these um, 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 subjects. And therefore, for me to, to, to tell you exactly, I, I don't know. But it's very possible that my, by, if, if scientists would take objects of, of Torah and put it under the microscopic and scientific tools, they might, and I'm sure they would observe things differently in it. I am sure there would be something even discernible to our eye. But even if not, I don't know. I'm not going to speak to that. I know many people have proven certain things that, they're, that we can see. But even if not, if we don't have those devices today, we will have those devices when Mashiach comes. I don't know if we will need devices. Then it will be seen to the, to the naked eye. But whatever it is, we will see that the material world, once we did a mitzvah with it, matter changed. The molecular structure, the entire building of it is completely different. Again, whether it expresses itself in the, in, in, in the molecules or on a level way deeper than that in the realm of quantum physics, I'm not exactly sure. We're, maybe we haven't cracked in deep enough to see it, but there's with no shadow of a doubt that the material physical world changes as a result of the mitzvahs that we do. For that to happen, that the physical natural world should be impacted by sublime, abstract, godly ele elements that are infinitely higher than matter and in the physical world required a special divine decree that God needed to, re to, to break the rule which he had set in creation that there is that there that the higher and the lower that the higher and the lower are distant from each other that the Abishner God needed to break and crack that entire system and to unify the upper and the lower that the lower should react to the revelations of the high. But this itself is already awesome. The idea that as a result of our practice of mitzvahs and observance of mitzvahs, we walk around and we actually change the material world and unify it with the infinite and the divine. That is crazy. But that's the empowerment that Hashem had given us by the giving of the Torah. Now, once we understand this, let's take this a step deeper. And when we say, that what God broke by the giving of the Torah, the, the what He the, the 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 change that He made in in the material world by the giving of the Torah is that He allowed the higher and the lower to merge. What is the deeper meaning of higher? What is what is when we say high? What do we mean that the low can connect to high? And on this, there are two explanations. One explanation is there is a system, as I mentioned earlier, there is a system of lower realms and higher realms. You know, in, K in Kabbalah, it is discussed that there is an entire ch chain-like progression of millions and millions of worlds in which evolve, one, one coming from the other. There's a, there is a, a spiritual system of evolution. And in this system, and how does the system come about? This entire system of upper and lower worlds. So it is explained that initially when God created the world, 
it was only him. And obviously over there, there's no higher or lower, it's just him. Then Hashem removed himself from, he, he, he didn't remove himself, he removed his visible presence and he created this absence of light, which means absence of revealed presence of him, of the infinite. And that created a, a cavity, a hole, a black hole. And into that black hole, this is the way Kab the Kabbalists discuss creation. And into that uh, a black hole, God reinserted his energy. Because without an energy, just the absence of him, there will be nothingness. In order there should be something, Sashem is reinserting himself into that space, but he's inserting himself through a line. Kabbalists refer to this as the great infinite line. Kav, it's a line. Let's look at it as a thread of light. And the way this thread works is that the beginning of the thread is closer to the source. It's closer to outside the circle. So it's closer to the infinite boundless light. So higher up in this line, in this thread, is far more potent. And therefore, when this thread creates, the first creations that are being created, so to speak, from the upper or higher part of this kav, of this, of this, um, of this thread, are far more are far godlier creations. There is much more illumination of the infinite over there. So these these this the state of existence is very, very, very intensely godly. As the as this um, 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 line or thread continues into the black hole, it's getting narrower and narrower and narrower, meaning God is constricting it more and more and more. It's continually to creating and creating and creating. This is the myriads of worlds that it is creating. But then, then as it continues on and on and on to go, we spoke about this in last week's classes as well, as it descends lower and lower and lower and lower and lower, the more obscured and the darker it gets, the darker it gets. And then eventually the last state of existence is the physical universe in which the lights are completely blocked. It's almost... There's no visibility naturally of the divine. That's our world. Comes out that the entire system of upper and lower, higher and lower, exists within the construct of what? Of this kav, of this line. Now, if we are to ascend above that line, above that thread, and really talk about the infinite light that's kind of surrounding this black hole, now, obviously, we're talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking. Um, um, we're, we're, we're speaking of very, 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 very lofty ideas, um, and using the physical, physical, um, uh, physical uh, uh, example. But as much as we can, within our minds, you know, understand that we're not dealing with physical phenomenon, but just the idea of it. So the. The energy that's higher than the black hole or higher than this line, over there we understand it's there's pure infinity. And on that level, on that level, there isn't even the concept of high and low. See, the whole concept of high and low starts within this, within this uh, uh, channel, within this thread, within the thread. There is the higher part of the thread and the lower part of the thread. So it creates the, 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 the idea of higher and low. 
Above the entire line, we're dealing with a whole different state of existence where there isn't a possibility of high and low. It's just one simple infinite light. Okay. Now, when we say by the giving of the Torah, there was a breaking of the barrier and high and low came together, this is understood on two levels. On two levels. Number one, God broke the barriers of the line of this thread itself. That means that the lowest part of the thread, which is the material physical world, the consequence of the lowest part of the thread, which is the creation of a finite material physical world, was not separated by this long, 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 almost like in, we say infinite chain of worlds, which creates sections and sections and sections, which is what creates this whole hierarchy or creates this whole distance that we spoke about before. We spoke about before that what that, that something within the physical can move this, but if it's just one notch higher, it might be able to impact it. Two notches higher might be able to impact it. But the more distant, the more removed you're going, the more high, farther away, the less impactful it is because it's distance. It's there's no there's no connection between the two. This whole separation of high and low, Hashem removed that. So therefore, the lowest points of the of the of this of this chain of this long progression and the highest can meet and that's true that happened by harsina by harsina therefore it says in 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 uh, in, in Hasidus, it says in, in it's explained in 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 these mystical teachings that one of the things we accomplish as a re, or is accomplished as a result of our torah as our, of our observance of our yiddishkeit of our torah mitzvahs is that we align our physical material world with the one of the, the, the highest godliest world called the world of Atsilut. The world of Atsilut is the world of divine manifestations. It's God's personality traits. So in simple language, let me put it down this way. When a Jew, each and every one of us, fulfills all the 613 commandments, 248 positive commandments and 365 prohibitions. And in every element of Torah, in every element of life, we make sure that there is nothing in our physical existence that is outside of God's will. That means we become a perfect, perfect observer of the Shulchan Aruch, of the code of Jewish law. We're behaving completely in every aspect of life, commerce, um, um, personal, personal behavior, whatever, livelihood, as we spoke earlier, um, uh, marriage, uh, uh, um, um, social life, a private, every aspect of life, diet, clothes, everything, everything is perfectly aligned with Torah. Then we're not so much human anymore. We are human but we are fully unified with the man of Atsilos. What's the man of Atsilos? The man of Atsilos is God. God as he manifests as a human. God as he manifests as a human has, has a certain system of how he formed himself into that divine man that the, that the, that the prophets speak about. They beheld the man above. Now, what are the features of that man? How does he behave? If that his behavior up there would come down in the physical, it would be following the, the exact instructions of Shulchan Aruch. So when we are doing that, guess what? 
We are a divine being. What, what makes a tzaddik, a godly being, he is God. He is an, a, a, a manifestation, a revelation of the Adam Elion, the supernal man, expressed in this material. Obviously, there are very few people who become so perfectly aligned. Obviously, you eradicated all evil inclination. And every single nuance in their life is only Torah and Shulchan Aruch, which means code of Jewish law. Then they are, their material, physical existence is a unified and one long, one one seamless expression of Atzilus down here in this world. Now, obviously, before the giving of the Torah, that wasn't possible. Before the giving of the Torah, the physical human being down here was inherently coarse and misaligned with, 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 with that human above. But after the giving of the Torah, it's possible to unify the two ends of this kav. This is what we're talking about earlier. The upper part of the kav the higher element of this line and the lower element, the two points of space, which are the farthest away from each other, were able to be unified. So that's idea number one in this concept of high and low coming together. However, what did we say earlier? There's a much deeper meaning to high. What's, what's, what's a deeper meaning to high? High, not being a higher point within this system of space. This is called space. It's not just physical space. It's spiritual space. The spiritual space is, an, is a very, very long chain of various different levels of different worlds. So the supernal man above lives in his element of space. And we live in our element of space. And over here, there is a high and a low. An emergence of a high and low. But that's not really the deeper meaning of high and low. The deepest meaning of high is the real meaning of high is high means that which is completely outside of the entire system of space. What I mentioned earlier, not the highest point of the line, but the infinite light that's higher than the entire black hole and higher than the entire, which means the light that's not been mitigated at all, the light that's just pure infinity. And over there, there isn't the possibility of time. There isn't, there isn't even a source for time and there isn't even a source for space, which means there's no possibility of divisibility, okay? What's time and space? Let's break this down. Time and space is the, the essence of time and space is really division, divisibility. What's space? There's here, and there's there, and then there is there. That all the different aspects, different points. And what's time? There is now, what was, and what will be. That these things are split. When there is, when, when there is nothing to divide, past, present, and future, there's no past, present, and future. And if there's no division in space, there's not around the corner, three miles away, six miles away, there's no space. So when there is no division, because it's purely, it's just pure in the pure infinite, it's beyond time and space. So what is the real meaning of high? The real meaning of high, and when we say by the giving of the Torah, is that the high was unified with the low. Okay. So wh where are we going at? What's the, what's the objective over here? What is the deeper meaning of it? It means that time and space, that the entire chain-like progression that creates time and space became unified with the light of the infinite that's beyond division. The there is a marriage between this, this thread, 
which creates the entire cosmic order, which is the whole source of time and space, becomes unified with infinity that utterly transcends time and space. That's the real meaning of high and low. Not the lowest point of space is connecting to the higher point of space. It means space itself is getting connected to what's beyond space. And obviously that would mean time as well. Time as well, which is because time and space are related to each other, that time as well is now opening up to what's beyond time. Okay, once we understand what does it mean, the upper and the lower merging together, now let's go back to the concept we spoke about before, that there is two elements in this merger of the upper and the lower. One element of the merger of the upper and the lower was that the upper came down here. God comes down to the world. The second element in the merger between the higher and the low is that Hashem empowered the low. Hashem empowered the low to become a vessel, to become a vessel for the high. So, if we just interpreted what does the high mean, this is wild stuff. This is wild stuff. What we're just about to say. Okay, so you put on your seatbelts. If we said that the unification between low and high that happened by Matan Torah has two phases to it. Phase number one is the very revelation of the high down here. That's number one. Phase number two is that it's a preparation for what happens after the giving of the Torah, the continuous work that happens, which is our part. When we study Torah and we do mitzvahs, bit by bit we make the world into a vessel, a container for the high. And not just a vessel for the high, we refine the world, we allow it to experience that it's a container and it's ready for, to receive the high. And not just ready to receive the high later, but it's, 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 it's already merging, but merging in a way that it's not, just, it's not just overwhelmed by the high. It is a container for it. It's a vessel for it. It is a, a facility for it, facilitates it. Now that we're saying that the high means for that which is utterly outside of time and space. So what does that mean? What that means is that time and space itself needs to become a vessel. It itself needs to become a vessel and a container means refined that it should become um, um a, 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 a vessel to what utterly transcends time and space. That means that time starts becoming, we break out of time and we break out of space. And how does that happen? Not that time and space dissolves, but while time is time and while space is space, Time becomes timeless and space becomes spaceless. And that itself is the nature of the time itself and the space itself. That's a marriage. The world gets married to God. If God is beyond time and space and infinite, and we are time and space, so what is the marriage between a husband and a wife? Two entities become one. 
So the timelessness and the spacelessness of God, his infinity, his beyond section and beyond definition becomes unified with us while we are sectionalized and definitive. And so what kind of world is that? And when did that all start? So here's the thing. By the giving of the Torah itself, at the moment of the giving of the Torah, it was already an experience of beyond the world in the world. Just like the God giving the Torah was already an experience of bringing beyond the world in the world. Because the sages tell us that the Torah is precedes the world. So it's not only the fact that God came down at the giving of the Torah. And God is the Torah, which is beyond the world, being given in this world, is already a beyond time and space dimension present in time and space. And where do we see in Torah that Torah is beyond time and space? The sages tell us that when we learn Torah, Torah has certain laws. The mitzvahs of the Torah have certain laws. And those mitz and those laws are, for instance, and those laws are, are very, very, very definitive in, in time and space. For instance, to bring an, an offering, you can only do it in the temple in Jerusalem. There's only one part where you can where you can bring uh, the offering. You can only bring an offering when you are physically standing in the temple and offering the offering. Today's days that we don't have access to the temple. And even if we technically could go up on Temple Mount, we still can offer because we're ritually impure and we're now allowed to go there. So not only can't we go there because of some, I don't know, the Arabs that will get upset if we're going on there and offering offerings. I'm sure they won't be happy about that. But that's that's a very uh, uh, that's a barrier. But that's not the real barrier. The real barrier is that we are defiled today's days. Until we don't have the red heifer, we're not allowed to go there. So we can't go. There. Does that mean we can't offer an offering today and bring atonement? The sages say there is a way of doing it. When you study the laws of the offering in Torah, you are actually in the temple offering the offering. Now hold it. What do you mean? You're living in Australia. You are right now in Chicago. You are right now in Warsaw. Wherever you are, you're not in the temple. You're not kosher. You can't bring a, a, an offering there. It's also middle of the night. You know, the temple was shut during the nighttime. If you offer an offering during the night, it's disqualified. It has to be during the day. Yet, if you're in the middle of the night in Warsaw or in Paris or in Sydney, Australia, wherever you are, and you're studying Torah, the laws of the carbon Ola, you're actually considered as, it's not, it's not a nice thing. It is that way. You are offering a, a offering before God and you get the atonement that is supposed to be through an offering. That's why it actually says that someone who needs to bring an atonement should, should do that. Don't worry so much. Just study and learn the laws and it's as if you're doing it. Why? Because Torah is not bound to time and space. So when you're learning in Torah, you're above time and you're above space. And therefore, it's as if you are there. So you see the Torah is higher than. So by God giving the Torah down here in the world, that is already a beyond time and space. And when we say beyond time and space, as I explained earlier, the real root of it is because the Torah comes from not from the energy of that thread, 
which from the very notion of the thread itself, there is already concepts of higher and lower, but the Torah comes from the infinite light that surrounds the thread, that surrounds the infinity, which that over there, there is no possibility of divisions. And that's why here and there don't exist on that level. Okay. But that's, that happened by the giving of the Torah. That was phase one by the giving of the Torah. And here is the more important part. What's phase two of the giving of the Torah? Here is the part that excited me the most. What's phase two of giving of the Torah? God is empowering, not just that he is revealing beyond time and space, in time and space, but he's empowering the world itself to become a vessel for him. That means, as we spoke earlier, that the Torah becomes refined and the Torah becomes a, a recipient, that the physical Torah becomes a holy object. When you're making a mezuzah, the physical parchment becomes holy. When you do, and every mitzvah that we do, there's a certain element of refinement that's taking place. So what's the first notion of this refinement? Is that time and space should become a vessel for what's beyond time and space. And that should become its properties, meaning not just it's facilitating beyond time and space, but it is a vessel for beyond time and space. That empowerment also happened when God gave the Torah. When he gave the Torah, he, he tinkered with time and space. And here is the punchline. Where did that happen by the giving of the Torah? Well, by the giving of the Torah, an unbelievable thing happened. Hashem didn't only reveal the beyond time and space in time and space. He opened up time and space. He did a tikkun in time and space. He changed that very, very nature of time and space, which the very definition of time and space is division. He made that, he created this paradox in it, that time and space, which is its entire identity, is the vision of past, present, and future, and here and there. He, un, he enabled it to be a vessel for what's beyond time and space. So where did that happen? Well, to, it happened in space, and it happened that time in time. The sages tell us, that when Hashem gave the Torah, the Jewish people heard the voice of God coming from all directions. From everywhere. They heard it coming from the south. They heard it coming from, the, from the, the north, from the east, from the west, from up and from down, from all directions. That wasn't only because God is all present. And when God, God speaks, being the God is everywhere, his sound is coming from everywhere. Something deeper than that. That's because when God revealed himself at the giving of the Torah, he elevated space. Space experienced a marriage with God and with the infinite light of God that's outside of the vision. So space itself became, was the impossible. What happened? That space itself, here was there, and there was here, and up was there. Everything in space was everywhere. There was one space, that space where the giving of the, the giving of the Torah was down here at Sinai, in the Sinai desert, in a specific space, 
But the place where that took hold of, it in, what happened was it, 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 it then ascended past the properties of space. So all of space was included everywhere. Because beyond doesn't have any differentiation. So in north was south and south was everything was included in that in, in that revelation. Here is where space merged with beyond space. And it's hot, it, it, it's cooler even in time. Watch what happened in time. The day, the moment of the giving of Torah, because now what happens is you have you have you have a you have a calendar and you're opening up. You see, you know, this is the year five, seven, you know, let's line up over here um, to, you know, uh, the world, according to the Torah, 6,000 year project. Let's line up over here, 6,000 calendars and open up a calendar and each day will mark with what is going to happen on that day. Let's take the 2,448th calendar. We're going to go, you know, let's say each, 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 each pile is 100. So we go through piles and piles of 100 calendars. We go through 10 of them. It's 1,000. 10 of them is another 1,000, 2,000. Then we go 20, uh, what is it, 2,448. Uh, the 24th pile, no, 25th pile, and we get to... To the 48th calendar, and we open it up. It's the, uh, I don't know which calendar. Every, every organization has a calendar. And we open it up. The sixth day of Sivan. We have a mark over there. This is the day, the giving of the Torah. This is the point of time. None of those other times, none of this. This is the day of the giving of the Torah. Okay? We mark the giving of the Torah on this day. But since in this day, this is the point. This is the point of time. We're beyond time and space. Beyond even the source of time and space is now descending and merging into this moment of time. So this moment of time now is ascending and getting married to beyond time. And therefore it incorporates all of time. So when was the Torah given? The Torah was given every second. The Torah was literally given every second because that time included every, all of time. So it was one day, but was it one day that had all of time and rap included in it? That day was the day, it was every day. That's why there's an amazing thing. You know, we speak always about the Torah of Mashiach. We speak about the future Torah. And we always say that the future Torah is going to be revealed. When Mashiach comes, it's going to be spectacular revelation. The Torah is going to open up for us on ways we've never studied it before. We're going to see in it endless, infinite wisdom. But it is always explained that even though we're going to re it's going to be revealed then, it's not going to be, Mashiach is not going to, there's not going to be a new giving of the Torah. The Torah was only given once. It will never, ever be given again. It's only that we are uncovering deeper, deeper meaning until there will be such light that only Mashiach will reveal. Or even deeper, God will reveal new light in the Torah. But, we, but even then, we always make it a point to say that that which will be revealed then was already revealed, was given by the giving of the Torah. Why do we insist on that so much? Let's say it will be given the second phase two will be given later. So a, a deeper understanding in that.
is that Matan Torah was only once. It doesn't have to be given later. It was already given later. Because the moment of Matan Torah was, was later too. The moment of the giving of the Torah included all of time. So it was later. So it was given later because it was given then. And then and later is one at the moment of the giving of the Torah. So now we'll understand what we started off. Remember I asked you, what was the first question I asked you at the beginning of the class? How can the word on this day mean what? How can the word on this day how can this day mean one given day? The third, the, the month of Sivan. And it also means every day in your life. Every, which day? Today. Today you're receiving the Torah. How can it be? How can it mean both things at the same time? And the answer is because it is both. It was that day and it is today. Because that day, now, even though that day was not the giving of the Torah, that was the day they arrived at Sinai. We're saying that this merger happened on the sixth day of Siva. That's the day of the giving of the Torah. This is still Rosh Chodesh Siva. It's still earlier. But since this was the, the, the day that the giving of the Torah began, the, this process of time being um, being elevated and marrying beyond time was already was already happened on that day. So the first day, I mean, so you have to say that that whole period of time was eternal time, was boundless time. And from Rosh Chodesh Siva, we entered into this time was elevated. So all of time was included in that time. So it's, 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 both are absolutely true. It was one day, but it's also every day because it's a moment that had everything in it. Now, why? Now, it didn't have to be that way. God could have, let's go back. God could have given the Torah in which he reveals his beyond timeness but he allows us to be who we are. We are time-bounded, space-bounded creatures. In other words, there could have been a revelation in this world from beyond time and space without God tinkering with, with, with time and space and, and, and making time and space re. Um, itself become timeless and space becomes spaceless. Why didn't God do that? Or why did he go the extra measure of an addition to revealing what's beyond time, but to actually insert his beyond timeness and his infinity, his beyond definition into the definitions to elevate the, defi the, the definitive elements of time and space into the infinite, into the beyond time and space. Why did he do that? So this is as, as I just mentioned, the reason for that is because God wanted to empower us to be able, Hashem desired to empower us to do the exact same thing. 
In other words, God wanted to give us power to ascend beyond our natural, our our limited, definitive, temporary, um, um, separate existence and to merge with him. Since the entire reason, and therefore God said, I'm starting it. In other words, I'm going to do the first, I'm going to take, I'm going to do this magical trick for the first time. I'm going to lift I'm going to lift time and space. I'm going to do it once and then you're going to copy me. That's like the same idea we said when we learned Torah. God says it and we copy him. So God says, I do it and then you can do it. I'm empowering you to do it. Comes out that the only reason why time became time became timeless and space became spaceless. The only reason why when Hashem gives the Torah, the reason when God gave the Torah, it that day included every day. Why is it that the day that when God gave the Torah included today, um, the what's today? Today is the uh, the fifteenth day of Shvat in the year fifty-seven fifty. The reason why is because Hashem, because God wanted to empower us to be able to elevate time and space, to merge with Him. That's the reason why He did it. So we understand now. Since it was all for the sake of us doing it. So when we actually do it, how do we do it? How are we actually elevating time and space? How are we making the, when we're actually activating the Torah throughout all of history, including today when we are learning Torah? This is justifying the reason why he did it. Which means this is making even more that that this is this is strengthening and highlighting and empowering in other words retroactively every time you are learning torah you are giving fuel to this marriage of time and space with beyond time and space because the only reason god did that then the only reason god was tinkering with the natural world that he created and he was as an introduction that we should be able to do it. So when that is being fulfilled, it's justifying it even more. So it's intensifying what happened. And that's the reason when you learn now, it's Chadash Mamish. It's literally new. More than the idea that when it, that it happened. We asked all the way in the beginning. Since when God speaks, his words are eternal. What's added by us? By, by, by when we're speaking, God is saying it. That's one of the questions I asked at the beginning. What is being added by when you're learning, God is learning? The answer is, when we're learning, Hashem is learning, is that is that this, we are, it's almost like, This crossover of beyond time and, 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 and how time is impacted by beyond time, it's also working the opposite. Time is impacting the beyond time. So think about it this way. Every time you sit down and you study Torah, you're actually entering and motivating God. That's what's happening. You are motivating God before the giving of the Torah to speak the Torah to the world and, and unify with time and space. 
Because the only reason he did it then is so that you should be able to do it. So when you're actually doing it, and being that God is higher than time, so you, it's actually you that's making it happen. And that's the idea. We, when we study Torah every day throughout all of time, we, <coughs> we are motivating this idea that when God is, we are motivating, we are motivating the union of time and space with beyond time and space. We are motivating Sinai. We are motivating this marriage. We are driving this marriage. So we're awesomely impactful. We are awesomely impactful. And then, because we're doing it, then God is really speaking today. Because what did we say before? Which day did he speak? He spoke on that day. But that day is every day. Why is that day every day? That day is every day because God spoke in a way that he made the recipient a recipient for his speech. Remember? He did it. That's, that, was, that was phase number two. Didn't have to do it. He did it that way. Had he not done it that way, then his words would have been then not being said right now. The only reason it's being said right now is because when he spoke then, that time enveloped all of time. But why did God lift time up to a place beyond time because he wants us to continue the lifting because he wants us to he wants to empower us to be able to do this incredible merger so when we are doing it then we are actually empowering invigorating and actualizing this power of hashem in elevating time into beyond time so what else could we do that's important in life can you think of anything else that you can do? We always want to increase. We always want to embedder. We want to uh, pick up. We want to, we want to, there's millions of things we can be doing. How about studying Torah? We're redeeming time and space from the prison of time and space. And we're unifying all with all and all transcendence, infinite, absolute truth and suddenly time and space is just one with him and all of existence is one with him we've redeemed the world from aging from getting old those that are worried about what's going to be with the planet all the solutions don't come close to the greatest solution of all. Drawing Hashem, Hashem's transcendental in infinite from a place that he utterly transcends time and space. Drawing it down here and not only drawing it down here, but elevating time and space to merge with that and become one with that. So even though so there's this incredible, impossible marriage, so when Mashiach will come and all this will be revealed, will it mean there's no here and there's no there and there's no up and no, there is here and there is there and there is an up and there is a down. And yet every second of here, of past and present and every point of here and there is everything. I'm sure this is being seen in quantum physics today. I don't know exactly how it works, but 
this is what Torah has been doing. And we are forever changing the universe in this most awesome, coolest way. I, I, I come back to what I said last week about the coolness of God. This is like super cool. And we are super cool. So may we all merit already to experience the completion of this, of this, of this awesome merger. And may we see the future is here already based on that. We should just be able to see the future. We should see the good. Whatever, whatever is meant to happen for all of time is here already right now. Because we're really just suddenly realize, and whatever happened is here right now. So all of history and all of the future, all unified in one in one experience of the present, of the here and the now. May we see that now? Thank you.